This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The Supreme Court has decided we anticipated this tragically. They have decided in a 6-3 vote to overturn settled law, to overturn women's constitutional right to privacy. The Republicans are plotting a nationwide abortion ban. They cannot be allowed to have a majority in the Congress to do that. But that's their goal. And if you read, and again, we're all studying all this, but if you read what is in the very clear, one of the justices had his own statement. It's about contraception, in vitro fertilization, family planning. That is all what will spring from their decision that they made today. Such a contradiction. Yesterday, the say the states <clears throat> cannot make laws governing the constitutional right to bear arms, and today they're saying the exact reverse: that the states can overturn a constitutional right for 50 years, a constitutional right for women having the right to choose. The hypocrisy is raging. But the harm is endless. What this means to women is such an insult. It's a slap in the face to women about using their own judgment to make their own decisions about their reproductive freedom. And again, it goes well. I always have said the termination of a pregnancy is just their opening act. It's just their front game. But because, but behind it, behind it, and for years, I have seen in this Congress opposition to any family planning, domestic or global, when we have had those discussions and those debates and those votes on the floor of the House. This is deadly serious. Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and she's absolutely right. The Supreme Court deciding on Thursday that states can't really set their own gun laws, but 24 hours later saying that the that states can set their own abortion laws or women's privacy laws. You can't be pro-life 
and pro-gun. These are the contradictions that we are facing. This is the, the challenge, the assault on our democracy, the assault on our humanity, the assault on our rights that we are facing as a result of this Supreme Court just this week. Here's President Biden on the Roe decision. And my administration will remain vigilant as the implications of this decision play out. I've warned about how this decision risks the broader right to privacy for everyone. That's because Roe recognized the fundamental right to privacy that has served as a basis for so many more rights that have come to take, we've come to take for granted, that are ingrained in the fabric of this country. The right to make the best decisions for your health. The right to use birth control, a married couple in the privacy of their bedroom, for God's sake. The right to marry the person you love. Now, Justice Thomas said as much today, he explicitly called to reconsider the right of marriage equality, the right of couples to make their choices on contraception. This extreme and dangerous path the court is now taking us on. The president's right. Justice Thomas did say in his opinion, contraception, same-sex marriage is on the table. And in the gun decision Thursday, he even used the Dred Scott decision and Judge Chief Justice Taney's argument that the Second Amendment was so broad and so allowing of an individual right to bear arms, Judge Taney was, was fearful that w- of what would happen if African Americans were allowed to gain arms. But he used that argument, Thomas did. Dred Scott, a black man, or an alleged black man, Clarence Thomas used Dred Scott the Dred Scott decision that everyone had a right to keep and bear arms as, as manifested in, in the Chief Justice's Taney's fear that time that African-Americans could keep and bear arms. This is sick. This is a reversal of, of so many things. One other thing Biden said that was that was very important. As the Attorney General has made clear, women must remain free to travel safely to another state to seek care they need. My administration will defend that bedrock right. If any state or local official, high or low, tries to interfere with a woman's exercise in her basic right to travel, I will do everything in my power to fight that deeply un-American attack. The President of the United States making the point women should be free to cross state lines to seek reproductive choices, reproductive health and abortion and maintain their privacy. He also said Roe is on the ballot. This has been some week. Highlighted as well by the January 6th hearing. What is the relationship between the Supreme Court and the January 6th hearings? We are hearing in these hearings about the corruption of a White House that has been responsible for the current majority on the court. Three justices, 
as Joe Biden said, quote, it was three justices named by one president, Donald Trump. Who are the core of today's decision to upend the scales of justice and eliminate a fundamental right for women in this country. That's what he said in reaction to Roe. Three justices appointed by one president. Mitch McConnell blocked another Obama justice from being on the court. Now, this same Trump, this same president who says Biden is illegitimate and 2020 was an illegitimate election. Through the January 6th hearings, we're hearing how unethical, amoral, undemocratic, treasonous, seditionist and insurrectionist he was. And someone like him had the power, has the power. We are witnessing the power that he had and obviously still has, even though he's no longer in office because Supreme Court justices live beyond their terms, go beyond presidential terms. He has the power to take away women's rights, to take away our protection from guns, to take away our Miranda rights, even though he's no longer in office. So I hope everybody's watching these hearings and watching them closely because that is the core of the ideology of what we're dealing with. We're still dealing with the remnants of a twisted ideology that's no longer even in the White House because the Supreme Court justices are there and are there for life. Also, an eventful week in the January 6th hearings, two important hearings that actually have garnered even more evidence about the insurrection and Trump's whole plan to what he called stop the steal, which really was an effort to stop democracy. There are reports that this will lead, in fact, to even more hearings. The evidence from this week's hearings and previous hearings will lead to more hearings on the evidence obtained in those hearings. So this is important. But just to kind of recap, a, a, a lot was covered this week and it's the committee is also being applauded for pacing out the hearings there's so much information to digest it's hard to do it if you just have a whole week of hearings back to back to back to back to back and the way they are pacing it out is making a difference so just want to highlight a, a few things from this week for our purposes for all of you who are listeners so that we can have sort of a culmination of what happened this week and have a place to to go and listen to find out what's going on in terms of the things that were important this week. Now, I want to begin with this. There were a lot of efforts on the part of Trump people, including Rudy Giuliani, calling around, trying to get the states to change the electors who were the original elect they wanted to change them so that they could turn the election around and the January 6th committee shared this these efforts also involved targeted outreach to state legislators hi representative my name is Angela McCallum. I'm calling from Trump campaign headquarters in Washington, D.C. You do have the power to reclaim your authority and send a slate of electors that will support President Trump and Vice President Pence. From President Trump's lawyers, 
and from Trump himself. And I've become friendly with legislators that I didn't know four weeks ago. Another legislator, Pennsylvania House Speaker Brian Cutler, received daily voicemails from Trump's lawyers in the last week of November. Mr. Speaker, this is Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. We're calling you together because we'd like to discuss, obviously, the election. Hello, Mr. Speaker. Uh, this is Jenna Ellis, and I'm here with Mayor uh, Giuliani. Hey, Brian, it's Rudy. I really have something important to call to your attention that I think really changes things. Cutler felt that the outreach was inappropriate and asked his lawyers to tell Rudy Giuliani to stop calling, but Giuliani continued to reach out. I understand that you don't want to talk to me now. I just want to bring some facts to your attention and talk to you as a fellow Republican. On December 30th, Trump ally Steve Bannon announced a protest at Cutler's home. We're getting on the road and we're going down to Cutler. We're going to start going to offices and if we have to, we're going to go to homes and we're going to let them know what we think about them. There were multiple protests. I actually don't remember the exact number. Uh, there was at least three, I think, um, outside either my district office or my home. Um, and you're correct, my son, my then 15-year-old son was home by himself for the first one. All of my personal information was doxed online. Uh, it was my personal email, my personal cell phone, my home phone number. Uh, in fact, we had to disconnect our home phone for about three days because it would ring all hours of the night and would fill up with messages. Brian Cutler, we're outside. Clerks facing felony charges in Michigan. Poll watchers denied access in Pennsylvania. These ads were another element in the effort. The Trump campaign spent millions of dollars running ads online and on television. So that's the Pennsylvania Speaker of the House whose voice you heard. That was a congressional staffer narrating. But you heard the, the Republican Speaker of the House in Pennsylvania under attack. His son was home by himself. While people were protesting outside, while they were being harassed, his, his life was in jeopardy. This is the extent to which people went. Now, remember what happened in 2000? Gore. Florida. The, the, the protests that were taking place against people who were counting the ballots. Same thing. The Arizona Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House who was actually a Trump supporter and I believe still is, strangely enough. Rusty Bowers was a prominent witness Tuesday and he talked about the conversations he had with Donald Trump over the phone. Um, before we begin with the questions that I had prepared for you, I wanted to ask you about a statement uh, that former President Trump issued, um, which I received just prior to the hearing. Uh, have you had a chance to review that statement? I, my counsel called from Arizona and read it to me. Yes, sir. Uh, in that statement, I won't read it in its entirety. Uh, former President Trump begins by calling you a rhino, uh, Republican in name only. He then references a conversation uh, in November 2020 in which he claims that you told him that the election was rigged and that he had won Arizona. Uh, to quote uh, the former president, during the conversation, he told me the election was rigged and that I won Arizona, unquote. Did you have such a conversation with the president? I did have a conversation with the president. Um, that certainly isn't it, but there were parts of it that are true, but there are parts that are not, sir. And the part that I read you, 
Uh, is that false? Anywhere, anyone, anytime has said that I said the election was rigged, that would not be true. And when uh, the, pro the former president in his statement today claimed that you told him that he won Arizona, is that also false? That is also false. Compelling testimony from the Arizona Speaker uh, of the House. And uh, Rusty Bowers, the Speaker, uh, would not yield under the pressure even from Rudolph Giuliani. At some point, did uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence, but they had a lot of theories? That was Mr. Giuliani. And, and what exactly did he say and how that come up? My recollection, he said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. And I don't know if that was a gaffe or maybe he, he didn't think through what he said, but both myself and others in my group, the three in my group and my, my counsel, both remembered that specifically and afterwards we kind of laughed about it. We have a lot of theories, but we don't have the evidence. Of course, this is Congressman Adam Schiff examining the Arizona Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers. President call you again in late, uh, later in December? He did, sir. And did you tell the president in that second call that you supported him, that you voted for him, but that you were not going to do anything illegal for him? I did, sir. Nevertheless, his lawyer, John Eastman, called you some days later on June 4th, 2021. And he did have a very specific ask that would have required you to do just what you had already told the president you wouldn't do, something that would violate your oath. Is that correct? That's correct. It wasn't just me. I had uh, my counsel and others on the, on, the, on the call. And what did uh, Dr. Eastman want you to do? Um, that we would, in fact, vote, take a vote to um, overthrow, or I shouldn't say overthrow, that we would decertify the electors and that, that because we had plenary authority to do so. And he cited Article 2, Section 1, I think it's Clause 2, uh, and uh, said that in his opinion that gave us the authority if there was I don't recall him saying sufficient evidence, but there was some call or some strong reason to do so that we, or justification to do so that we could do that. And that he was asking that we, he, he, his suggestion was that we would do it. And I said, uh, again, I took an oath for me to take that, to do what you do would, would be counter to my oath. I don't recall if it was in that conversation, clearly, that we talked more about the oath, but I said, what would you have me do? And he said, uh, just do it and let the court sort it out. And I said, you're asking me to do something that's never been done in history, the history of the United States, and I'm going to put my state through that without sufficient proof? Rusty Bowers in, in Arizona, this is really <laughs> something. There was also evidence presented of uh, Ronald McDaniel 
of the RNC and John Eastman, this Eastman character, we're going to be hearing more and more about him in the weeks to come, pressing the RNC to get involved in the in the scheme. At the president's direct request, the RNC assisted the campaign in coordinating this effort. What did the president say when he called you? Essentially, he turned the call over to Mr. Eastman, who then proceeded to talk about the importance of the RNC helping the campaign gather these contingent electors in case any of the legal challenges um, that were ongoing changed the result of any of the dates. I think more just helping them reach out and assemble them. But the my understanding is the campaign did take the lead and we just were helping them in that in that role. They called everybody just just out of sheer desperation to try and overturn the election. They even had fake electors. This is from the January 6th committee, this audio where they report that there were even fake electors in Michigan. They were hiding out in the Michigan Capitol overnight. ...by the select committee indicate that instructions were given to the electors in several states that they needed to cast their ballots in complete secrecy. Because this scheme involved fake electors, those participating in certain states had no way to comply with state election laws, like where the electors were supposed to meet. One group of fake electors even considered hiding overnight to ensure that they could access the state capitol as required in Michigan. Did Mr. Norton say who he was working with at all on this effort to have electors meet? He said he was working with the president's campaign. He told me um, that the Michigan Republican electors were planning to meet in the capitol and hide overnight so that they could fulfill the role of casting their vote in per law in the Michigan uh, uh, chambers. And um, I told him in no uncertain terms that that was insane and inappropriate. <laughs> in one no uncertain terms, it was insane. Clearly it was. Now, back to Rusty Bowers. And we'll hear this from several witnesses, the, the, the threats, the harassment. The life endangerment was very real. As others in the videos have mentioned, we received. Um, my secretaries would say in excess of 20,000 emails and tens of thousands of voicemails and texts which saturated our offices and we were unable to work, or at least communicate. But at home, um, up till even recently, uh, it is the new pattern or a pattern in our lives to worry what will happen on Saturdays because we have various groups come by and they have had um, video panel trucks with videos of me proclaiming me to be a pedophile and a pervert and a corrupt and politician and blaring uh, loudspeakers in my neighborhood and leaving literature both on my property but arguing and threatening with neighbors 
and with myself. Um, and I don't know if I should name groups, but there was a, one gentleman that had the three bars on his chest, and he had a pistol, and was threatening my neighbor, not with the pistol, but just vocally. When I saw the gun, I knew I had to get close. And at the same time, on some of these, we had a daughter who was gravely ill, who was upset by what was happening outside. And my wife, that was a valiant person, very, very strong, quiet, very strong woman. So it was disturbing. It was disturbing. The emotions of the Arizona Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers. This type of behavior, these types of threats were not confined to the Arizona Secretary of State, of course, as we'll see from Gabe Sterling, who's the COO of the Georgia Secretary of State's office. He implored Trump to stop the threats, but he gave an explanation for that to the committee Tuesday. Let's take a look at what you said that day. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And it's not right. I, I, it's not right. Mr. Sterling, what prompted you to make these remarks? Mr. Schiff, we had had a previously scheduled press conference that day as we were in the habit of doing, trying to be as transparent as we could about the election and the counts going on. Um, a little after lunch that day, uh, lunchtime, I received a call from the project manager from Dominion Voting Systems who was oddly, audibly shaken. She's not the kind of person I would assume would be that way. She has a master's from MIT, a graduate of the Naval Academy, and was very much on the ball and pretty unflappable. And she informed me about a, a young contractor they had who had been receiving threats um, from a, a video that had been posted by some QAnon supporters. And at that point, we had been sort of been steeping in this kind of stuff. So we were, it was around us all the time, so I, I didn't take note of it more than adding to the pile of other stuff we were having to deal with. And I did pull up Twitter, and I scrolled through it, and I saw the young man's name. It was a particular tweet that, for lack of a better word, was a straw that broke the camel's back. Um, had the young man's name. It was a very unique name. I believe it was a first-generation American. And it said, had his name. You committed treason. May God have mercy on your soul with a slowly twisting gif of a noose. And for lack of a better word, I lost it. I just got irate. Um, my boss was with me at the time, the Deputy Secretary, Jordan Fuchs, and she could tell that I was angry. I've turning, I tend to turn red from here up when that happens, and that happened at that time. And she called Secretary Raffensperger to say, we're seeing these kind of threats, and Gabe thinks we need to say something about it. And, so and of course, the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and his wife and other families also were threatened. 
Well, after the, ele after the election, uh, my email, my cell phone was doxxed, and so I was getting texts all over the country, and then eventually my wife started getting the uh, text, and hers typically came in as sexualized uh, texts, which were disgusting. You have to understand that uh, Trish and I, we met in high school, and we've been married over 40 years now, and so um, they started going after her, I think, just to probably put pressure on me, why don't you just quit, walk away. And so that happened. And then some people broke into my daughter-in-law's uh, home, and uh, my son has passed, and she's a widow, and uh, has two kids. And so we're very concerned about her safety also. Before we move on from Raffensperger, something he said that really stood out to me, and I want to share it. Again, you hear Congressman Adam Schiff in the cross-examination kind of, of, of set this up, but Raffensperger said something that was quite compelling in response to Congressman Schiff. Take a listen, if you would. Third, the day after Meadows' Georgia visit, he set up a call between President Trump and Francis Watson. On the call between President Trump and Georgia investigator Francis Watson, the former president continued to push the false claim that he'd won the state of Georgia. Let's listen to that part of the conversation. You know, it's just, you have the most important job in the country right now, because if we win Georgia, first of all, if we win, you're going to have two wins. You're not, they're not going to win right now. You know, they're down. Because the people of Georgia are so angry at what happened to me. They know I won. What by hundreds of thousands of votes? It wasn't close. And in this next clip, he told the state law enforcement official that she'd be praised if she found the right answer. Raffensperger, I know you weren't on this call, but, uh, but that you have listened to it. President Trump didn't win by hundreds of thousands of votes in Georgia, did he? No, he did not. Uh, I've been traveling through the state of Georgia for a year now, and uh, simply put, in a nutshell, what happened in fall of 2020 is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential race, and yet they voted down ballot in other races. And the Republican congressman ended up getting 33,000 more votes than President Trump. And that's why President Trump came up short. Now, that's a compelling statement. Why did 28,000 Republicans skip voting for Trump in November of 2020? What, what, what was going on in Georgia? Now, to me, that kind of... It explodes the notion of, of just absolute loyalty when it comes to voters. The notion that Trump, Republican voters will vote for him no matter what. The notion that even after these hearings have revealed he's raised a quarter of a billion dollars from Republicans by defrauding them. Send me a quarter of a billion dollars so you can, um, so we can stop the steal. That money's not being used. That's wire fraud. You know what Andrew Gillum's being prosecuted for that Trump isn't? Huh? 
So so maybe he, he's not as um, Teflon when it comes. What was going on in November 2020? There was anything like what we know now. 2020, there wasn't a quarter of a billion dollars in knowledge of, of wire fraud. In November 2020, there had yet to be an insurrection. In November 2020, Roe had yet to be overturned. So if you can get 28,000 Republicans not to vote for him, you can. No, I take that back. If he can do whatever he did to get 28,000 Republicans not to vote for him in November 2020, what do you think they're going to do in November 2022 and November 2024? I just want to throw that little nugget out there. I think what, what Raffensperger said there was very, very important. It's one of those little things that's embedded that some may have overlooked. What was going on in Georgia? Now, that's not to say these people voted for Joe Biden. What he said, they skipped. They didn't vote at all. And that's without the quarter of a billion dollar wire fraud. That's without the insurrection. That's without overturning of Roe. So so 28,000 people in Georgia and God knows what other states where that happened. So we're to believe they're going to go vote for him now. After we know about the wire fraud, after we know about the insurrection, after we know about the overturning of Roe. Yeah, I think we ought to, somebody ought to take a look at that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Joy Reid said it best about these next clips, his next clip from the testimony, the Moss family, black women who often work and volunteer as poll workers. Black women, the backbone of this electorate, the black backbone of the Democratic Party. Under attack. Wandria Moss and her. Her mother. First of all, attacked by Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Giuliani and President Trump. I want to advise viewers that these statements are completely false and also deeply disturbing. Tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman quite obviously surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they are vials of heroin or cocaine. 
I mean, it's our it's, it's obvious to anyone who's a criminal investigator or prosecutor, they are engaged in surreptitious illegal activity again that day. And that's a week ago, and they're still walking around Georgia lying. Should have been, they should have been, uh, should have been questioned already. Uh, their places of work, their homes should have been searched for evidence of ballots, for evidence of USB ports, for evidence of voter fraud. That video was from Rudy Giuliani's appearance at a Georgia state Senate hearing on December 10. Now, you notice black women, vials of heroin and cocaine. What's, what's that about? Oh, that's about Ronald Reagan. That's about welfare mom. That's the, that's the damage that's done. We get, and first of all, it was it was a ginger mint that she passed. It wasn't a, a doggone uh, USB looking. Like, how does the USB look like a, a vial of, of heroin or cocaine? How does Rudy know what heroin or cocaine looks like anyway? Somebody ought to ask that question. Sister Moss. And were there social media posts uh, that they showed you responding to those false claims? Well, um, when when I saw the video, of course, the first thing that I said was like, why? What? Why is why are they doing this? What's going on? And um, they, you know, just told me that Trump and his allies were not satisfied with the outcome of the election. And they they were getting a lot of threats and um being harassed online and asked me, you know, have I been receiving anything and I need to check on my mom? And I told them, um, I, you know, I was like, where, where have they, you know, where have you been getting these threats? I, I don't believe I have any. And um, Mr. Jones told me like they're attacking his uh, Facebook and I don't really use Facebook. I have one. So I went to the Facebook app and I'm just kind of panicky at this point because this has never happened to me and my mom is involved and I'm like her only child. So I'm just asking him like, well, where are the messages? All I see is the feeds. Like, how do you get to the messages? And he said, it's another icon on your phone that says messenger. And I went to that icon and it was just a lot of horrible things there. And those horrible things, did they include threats? Yes, a, a lot of threats, um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that you know I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. That's, were, were a lot of these threats and, and vile comments racist in nature? A lot of them were racist. A lot of them were just hateful. Um, but yes, sir. In one of the we, we, we know what that means when you say, be glad it's 2020, not 1920. We know what happened in, in 1920. We know about the, the, the era of, of, of lynchings. Sister Moss's mom, uh, Lady Ruby. Uh, your mother was kind enough to come speak with us earlier. Let's listen to her story and her words. 
My name is Ruby Freeman. I've always believed that when God says that he'll make your name great, but this is not the way it was supposed to be. I could have never imagined the events that followed the presidential election 2020. For my entire professional life, I was Lady Ruby. My community in Georgia, where I was born and lived my whole life, knew me as Lady Ruby. I built my own business around that name, La Ruby's Unique Treasures, a pop-up shop catering to ladies with unique fashions. I wore a shirt that proudly proclaimed that I was and I am Lady Ruby. Actually, I had that shirt on. I had that shirt in every color. I wore that shirt on Election Day 2020. I haven't worn it since, and I'll never wear it again. <laughs> now, I won't even introduce myself by my name anymore. I get nervous when I bump into someone I know in the grocery store who says my name. I'm worried about who's listening. I get nervous when I have to give my name for food orders. I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. Ms. Moss, how has this experience of being targeted by the former president and his allies affected your life? This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. I've gained about 60 pounds. I just don't do nothing anymore. I don't want to go anywhere. I second guess everything that I do. Um, it's affecting my life in a, in a major way in every way, all because of lies. For me doing my job, same thing I've been doing forever. Your mother also told the select committee about how she had to leave her own home for her safety and go into hiding after the FBI told her that it would not be safe for her there before January 6th and until the inauguration. Let's listen to a clip of her story in her own words. Around the week of January 6th, the FBI informed me that I needed to leave my home for safety. Um, and I left my home for safety around that time. 
Understood. How, how long did you stay out? Did you, you know, remain outside of your home for your own safety? I, I stayed away from my home for approximately two months. It was horrible. I felt homeless. I felt, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe this person has caused this much damage to me and my family um, to have to leave my home that I've lived there for 21 years and you know I'm having to have my neighbors watch out for me you know um, and I have to go and stay with somebody it was hard it was horrible and that um, your conversation with the FBI about needing to leave your home for your, your own safety or perhaps recommending it um, do you remember, was there a specific threat that prompted that, or was it the accumulation of, of threats that you had received? What prompted it was, um, was getting ready to January 6th was about to come, and they did not want me to be at home because of all the threats and everything that I had gotten. They didn't want me to be there in fear of, you know, the people would come into my home and I had a lot of that. So they didn't want me to be there just in case something happened. I asked, how long am I going to have to be at home? They said, at least until the inauguration. In addition to the personal impact this experience has had on you and your family, one of the things that I find most disturbing is how these lies discourage longtime election workers from continuing to do this important work. Tell us, if you would, of the other election workers shown in that State Farm Arena video and their supervisors, how many are still election workers in Fulton County? Um, there is no permanent election worker or supervisor in that video that's still there. And did you end up leaving your, leaving your position as well? Yes, I, I left. Ms. Moss, I want to thank you for coming in to speak with us and to thank you for your service uh, to our democracy. What we have just played is a truly horrible and appalling sample, but just a sample of the things that were said about you and your mother following the election. I want to say how very sorry I think we all are for what you've gone through, and tragically, you're not alone. Other election workers around the country have also been the subject of lies and threats. No election worker should be subject to such heinous treatment just for doing their job. The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American. Not to target one, but he targeted me, Lady Ruby, a small business owner, a mother, a proud American citizen, who stand up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic. Adam Schiff and Lady Ruby and her daughter, Wandria Moss, some compelling testimony Tuesday. Thursday's hearings were no better, as we heard from former DOJ officials about the plan to steal the election or as Trump would say, stop the steal, but really their plan to stop democracy. Representative Adam Kissinger got things going. Republican congressman echoed the president just two days later. 
They wrote a letter to Attorney General Barr laying into the Justice Department for a, quote, shocking lack of action in investigating the claims of election fraud. That same day, Attorney General Barr stated publicly that President Trump's claims had no merit. Ignoring the top law enforcement officer in the country, Republican congressmen amplified the stolen election message to the American public. Let's listen. And so there's widespread evidence of fraud. Louis Gomer. Because people haven't done their jobs. Durham and Barr will deserve a big notation in history when it's written of the rise and fall of the United States if they don't clean up this mess, clean up the fraud, do your jobs and save this little experiment in self-government. Again, I join my colleagues in calling on Andy Attorney General Barr to immediately let us know what he's doing. We're already working on, on challenging Paul Gosar. the certified uh, uh, electors. And now what about the courts? How pathetic are the courts? January 6th, I'm joining with the Matt fighters Getz. in the Congress, and we are going to object to electors from states that didn't run clean elections. Democracy is left undefended if we accept the result of a stolen election without fighting with every bit of vigor we can muster. The ultimate Jim Jordan. significance is January 6th. This is how the process works. The ultimate arbiter here, the ultimate check and balance is the United States Congress. And when something is done in an unconstitutional fashion, which happened in several of these states, we have a duty to step forward and have this debate and have this vote on the 6th of January. Today is the day Mo American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Mo Brooks, now he's from Alabama. Now, you, you heard Louis Gomer say, do your job. And that ended up being a, a chant that was heard outside of the DOJ. Again, the chant do your job. Think about what happens if these justice officials make a different decision. What happens if they bow to the pressure? What would that do to us as a democracy, as a nation? Imagine a future where the president could screen applicants to the Justice Department with one question. Are you loyal to me or to the Constitution? And it wouldn't take long to find people willing to pledge their loyalty to the man. We know many of President Trump's vocal supporters on January 6th also wanted the Justice Department to do whatever he asked, as long as it meant he could stay in power. They made sure Justice Department officials heard his message as they protested loudly in front of the department on their way to the Capitol on January 6th. Do your job! 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 Live in D.C., we're marching to the Capitol. We are at the Department of Justice right now telling these cowards to do their job. We're going to take the Capitol. So clearly the DOJ was targeted as well. Former, and that was Representative Adam Kinzinger again, by the way, 
Congressman Benny Thompson, the chair of the committee, spoke with Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. Attorney General Bill Barr told the select committee that before he left the department in December 2020, he told President Trump on at least three occasions there was no evidence of widespread election fraud that would have changed the results of the presidential election and refuted numerous specific claims of election fraud the president was making. Mr. Rosen, after Mr. Barr announced his resignation, did Donald Trump continue to demand that the Department of Justice investigate his claims of election fraud? Uh, yes. He, he uh, asserted that he thought the Justice Department had not done enough. Thank you. From the time you took over from Attorney General Barr until January 3rd, how often did President Trump contact you or the department to push allegations of election fraud? So between December 23rd and January 3rd, the president either called me or met with me virtually every day with one or two exceptions like Christmas Day. Um, and before that, because uh, I had been announced that I would become the acting attorney general before the date I actually did, the president had asked that uh, Rich Donahue and I go over and meet with him, I believe, on December 15th as well. So he was asked every single day to intervene, to do something. The acting deputy attorney general, Richard Donahue, speaking with Congressman Kissinger. Mr. Donahue, on December 27th, you had a 90-minute conversation with the president where he raised false claim after false claim with you and Mr. Rosen. How did you respond to what you called a, quote, stream of allegations? The December 27th conversation um, was, uh, in my mind, an escalation of the earlier conversations. As the former acting AG indicated, there were a lot of communications that preceded that. As we got later in the month of December, the uh, president's entreaties became more urgent. He became more adamant that we weren't doing our job. We need to step up and do our job. Um, and he had this arsenal of allegations um, that he wanted to, um, to rely on. And so I felt in that conversation that was incumbent on, on me to make it very clear to the president what our investigations had revealed and that we had concluded based on actual investigations, actual witness interviews, actual reviews of documents, that these allegations simply had no merit. And I wanted to try to cut through the noise because it was clear to us that there were a lot of people whispering in his ear, feeding him these conspiracy theories and allegations. And I felt that being very blunt in that conversation might help make it clear to the president that these allegations were simply not true. And so as he went through them and what for me was a 90 minute conversation or so, and what for the former acting AG was a two hour conversation, um, as the president went through them, I went piece by piece to say, no, that's false, that is not true, and to correct him um, really in, in a serial fashion as he moved from one theory to another. These are DOJ officials pushing back against Trump claims. And, and this 
quote from Donahue is one of the most compelling quotes from Thursday's hearing. Let's take a, a look at another one of your notes. Uh, you also noted that Mr. Rosen said to Mr. Trump, quote, DOJ can't and won't snap its fingers and change the outcome of the election. H how did the president respond to that, sir? He responded very quickly and said, essentially, uh, that's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm just asking you to do is just say it was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. So let's now put up the notes uh, where, you, where you quote the president. Uh, as you're speaking to that, he said, the president, the president said, just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. So, Mr. Donahue, that's a direct quote from President Trump, correct? That's an exact quote from the president, yes. Just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. Uh, <laughs> now, enter this character, Jeffrey Clark, who the FBI, whose home was raided by the FBI Friday. And it's important to understand that Giuliani talked about Clark. Why Jeff Clark? Let's hear Mr. Giuliani explain the kind of person that he and the president wanted at the top of justice. Remember ever recommending to anybody that um, Mr. Clark, meaning Jeffrey Clark at DOJ, be given election-related responsibilities? You mean beyond the president? Correct. Well, beyond the president, I do recall saying to people that um, somebody should be put in charge of the Justice Department who isn't uh, fr uh, frightened of what's going to be done to their reputation. Um, because the Justice Department was filled with people like that. Should put somebody that's not frightened of what's going to be done to their reputation. Mr. Donahue, when that's that's Giuliani justifying Jeffrey Clark again, who was raided by the FBI Friday. Donahue talks more about Jeffrey Clark with Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Um, and despite this contentious meeting and your strong reaction to the letter, um, did Mr. Clark continue to push his concept in the coming days? He did. Yes. Um, we had subsequent meetings and conversations. Um, the acting AG probably had more contact with him than I did. Uh, but between the 28th and the 2nd, when we had another in-person meeting, um, he clearly continued to, to move down this path. He began calling witnesses and apparently conducting investigations of his own. Um, and uh, he got a briefing from DNI about purported foreign intelligence uh, interference. Um, and we thought perhaps once it was explained to him that there was no basis for that part of his concern that he would retreat. Uh, but instead he doubled down and said, well, okay, so there's no foreign interference. Um, I still think there are enough allegations out there that we should go ahead and send this letter, which shocked me even more than the initial one because you would think after a couple of days of looking at this, 
he, like we, would have come to the same conclusion that it was completely unfounded. And when you learned that he had been uh, calling witnesses and conducting investigations on his own, did you confront him? Yes. And uh, what was his reaction? He got very defensive. Um, you know, as I said, there were a series of conversations through that week. I, I certainly remember very specifically the conversation in the meeting on January 2nd. Um, that got even more confrontational. But uh, he was defensive and, um, you know, similar to his earlier reaction when I said this is nothing less than Justice Department meddling in an election, his reaction was, I think a lot of people have meddled in this election. Um, and so he kind of clung to that and then spewed out some of these theories, some of which we'd heard from the president, but others which were floating around the internet and media, um, and just kept insisting that the department needed to act and needed to send those letters. Now, there were constant claims of executive privilege, of course, on the part of Jeffrey Clark. You claim executive privilege and, and what have you, and I guess pleading the fifth when you feel you might be guilty. We asked Mr. Clark some of the same questions that we've asked you, and here's how he answered. Did you discuss this draft letter to Georgia officials with the President of the United States? Fifth, and executive privilege, again, just restated for the abundance of caution. Okay, if you look again at the draft letter in the first paragraph, second sentence says, the department will update you as we are able on investigatory progress, but at this time we have identified significant concerns that may have impacted the outcome of the election in multiple states, including the state of Georgia. Isn't that in fact contrary to what Attorney General Barr had said uh, on December 1st, 2020? Fifth. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Fifth and executive privilege. That's what he was saying throughout his deposition. Um, that was Jeffrey Clark again raided by the FBI Friday. Here's more from acting AG Rosen. President Trump rushed back early from Mar-a-Lago on December 31st and called an emergency meeting with the department's leadership. Here's Mr. Donahue describing the last minute meeting held at the White House on New Year's Eve. The president was a little more agitated than he had been on the meeting, in the meeting on the 15th. Um, he discussed a variety of election matters, he did say, this sounds like the kind of thing that would warrant appointment of a special counsel. There was a point at which the president said something about, why don't you guys seize machines? Mr. Rosen, the president asked you to seize voting machines from state governments. What was your response to that request? That we had, we had seen nothing improper with regard to the voting machines, and I told them that the, the uh, real experts at that had been at DHS, and they had briefed us that uh, they had looked at it and that there was nothing wrong with the, the voting machines. And so that was not something that was appropriate to do. So there would be no factual basis to seize machines. Mr. Donnie, I, I don't think there was legal authority either. 
Yeah, Mr. Donahue, can you explain what the uh, president did uh, after he was told that the Justice Department would not seize voting machines? The president was very agitated by the acting attorney general's response um, and uh, to the extent that uh, machines and, and the technology was being discussed, the acting attorney general said that the uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has expertise in machines um, and certifying them and making sure that the states are operating them properly. And since DHS had been mentioned, the president yelled out to his secretary, get Ken Cuccinelli on the phone. Um, and she did in very short order. They wanted machines seized. They wanted, Trump wanted machines. Now, everywhere he's turning, everywhere he's turning, he is, is met with pushback. Everyone is pushing back again. He's not getting any support. Here's more about Jeffrey Clark. Can you tell you in that that the president had offered him the job of acting attorney general? That was uh, a day later. On the, on the second, he, he said that the president had asked him to let him know if he'd be willing to take it. Subsequently, he told me that uh, on, the, on Sunday the 3rd, he told me that the timeline had moved up and that the president had offered him the job and that he was accepting it. Well, let's ask about that. What was your reaction to that? Well, uh, you know, on the one hand, I wasn't going to accept being fired by my subordinate, so I wanted to talk to the, the president directly. Um, with regard to uh, the reason for that is I wanted to try to convince the president not to go down the wrong path that Mr. Clark seemed to be advocating. Um, and it wasn't about me. There's only 17 days left in the administration at that point. I would have been perfectly content to have either of the gentlemen on my left or right replace me if, if anybody wanted to do that. But I did not want for the Department of Justice to be put in a posture where it would be doing things that were not consistent with the truth, were not consistent with its own uh, appropriate role, or were not consistent with the Constitution. The acting AG resisting the appointment of Jeffrey Clark as the new acting AG. Here's more from Donahue. Call me, email me, text me, whatever it is. If you know what you would do if Jeff Clark is put in charge of the department. And immediately Eric Dryben, who was the AAG of the Civil Rights Division, said, I don't need to think about it. There's no way I'm staying. And then the other AEGs began to chime in, uh, in turn, and all essentially said they would leave. They would resign in mass if the president made that change in the department leadership. Incredible. I'd like to look at the assistant attorney generals on the screen. Uh, if we can pull that up, have their pictures. Did every assistant attorney general you spoke to, as you said, agree to resign? Uh, Macon Delrahim uh, was not on the call only because we, we had some difficulty reaching him. But yes, the other people on the um, screen were on the call and all without hesitation said that they would resign. Mass resignations from the Department of Justice if Jeffrey Clark was appointed acting attorney general. 
Now, remember all those members of Congress we heard earlier from the from the mashup from Congress, the testimony that they were calling on the Justice Department to do their job. All of them ended up asking for pardons. Was Representative Gates requesting a pardon? Believe so. Eric Hirschman. The, the general tone was we may get prosecuted because we were defensive of, you know, the president's positions on these things. A pardon that he was discussing, requesting, was as broad as you could describe from the beginning. Of, I remember he's from the beginning of time up until today for any and all things. He mentioned Nixon and I said Nixon's pardon was never nearly that broad. Are you aware of any members of Congress seeking pardons? I guess Mr. Gates and Mr. Brooks, I know, both advocated for there to be a blanket pardon for members involved in that meeting and a handful of other members that weren't at the December 21st meeting um, as the preemptive pardons. Uh, Mr. Gates was personally pushing for a pardon. Now, this is Cassidy Hutchinson. We heard Eric Hirschman, former senior advisor. This is also a former White House staffer speaking now, Cassidy Hutchinson. And he was doing so since early December. I'm not sure why. Uh, Mr. Gates had reached out to me to ask if he could have a meeting with Mr. Meadows about receiving a presidential pardon. Did they all contact you? Not all of them, but several of them did. So you mentioned Mr. Gates, Mr. Brooks. Um, Mr. Biggs did. Mr. Jordan talked about congressional pardons, but he never asked me for one. It was more for an update on whether the White House is going to pardon members of Congress. Mr. Gomer asked for one as well. Any Mr. Perry asked for a pardon too, I'm sorry. I need to Mr. Off. Perry, did he talk to you directly? Yes, he did. Did uh, Marjorie Green contact you? No, she didn't contact me about it. I heard that she had asked White House Counsel Office for a pardon from Mr. Philbin, but I didn't frequently communicate with Ms. Green. And here yet another former White House official offering testimony on the request for pardons, John McEntee. Are you aware of any conversations or communications regarding the possibility of giving Congressman Matt Gates a pardon? Um, I know he had asked for it, but I don't know if he ever received one or what happened with it. How do you know that Congressman Gates asked for a pardon? He told me. Uh, tell us about that. He told me to ask Meadows for a pardon. Were you involved in or did you witness any conversations about the possibility of a blanket pardon for everyone involved in January 6th? Uh, I have heard that mentioned, yeah. Do you know whether the president had any conversations about potentially pardoning any uh, family members? Um, I know he had hinted at a blanket pardon for the January 6th thing for anybody, um, but I think he had for all the staff and everyone involved, not with January 6th, but just before he left office, I know he had talked about that. The only reason I know to ask for a pardon 
is because you think you've committed a crime. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congressman Adam Kissinger, that's Thursday. So we got to look at this, folks. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. In the context of everything that has happened, including Roe, the, the overturning of gun laws this week by the Supreme Court, they, they relaxed gun laws in New York. That will affect other states. They have pretty much struck down Miranda rights. You can no longer sue if you're not Mirandized. If it's not said, you have the right to remain silent. Allowing more people to carry guns also puts more African-Americans in contact with the police. That just this, this Supreme Court has run amok. And... January 6th shows us what the agenda was. Now, they may not have stopped the election of Joe Biden, but the Supreme Court is nullifying things and particularly settled constitutional law. Rose has stood for 50 years. January 6th lets you know, and these hearings let you know the mentality of the people that we're dealing with. In the Roe opinion, Clarence Thomas said that contraception, marriage equality should be overturned. And frankly, women, the over 50 percent of them that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 didn't listen to Hillary Clinton. Because the same way we as African-Americans have internalized racism and turn on each other. White women have internalized sexism and turn on each other. And Hillary wasn't good. She wasn't the right one. We don't like her. But she warned us and she was right. This is from the debate in 2016. And in this case, it's not only about Roe v. Wade. It is about what's happening right now in America. So many states are putting very stringent regulations on women that block them from exercising that choice to the extent that they are defunding Planned Parenthood, which, of course, provides all kinds of cancer screenings and other benefits for uh, women in our country. Donald has said he's in favor of defunding Planned Parenthood. He even supported shutting the government down to defund Planned Parenthood. I will defend Planned Parenthood. I will defend Roe v. Wade, and I will defend women's rights to make their own health decisions. So, folks, that is where we are. And I pray that everyone has learned from this and realizes now the consequences of being apathetic, being lax, not voting, not being passionate enough 
to prevent this takeover. Once again, the, the reclamation, the same reclamation that occurred after Reconstruction when the Confederates came back. This is another reclamation here in America taking place right now. And now is the time we all come together in the words of Dr. King. We are inextricably linked in a mutual garment of destiny. We must be about that. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.